Hello again, this is your host, it's JB3, and welcome to Equity Matters. Today we continue on our Equity in Action series, meeting with another champion who is currently working in the education space. Um, I'm excited to feature this individual because the more we talk, the more we realize we had some things in common, especially the fact that we are both students at the University of Southern California, fight on. And it's a nice change of pace to talk to someone in a different space outside of public health. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about how equity shows up in different spaces. Like we we have a good sense because we're just familiar with equity as a topic and as a concept, but it's always good to hear from people who are doing the work. So I am ready to introduce you all to a classmate, if you will, Aldrich Horton Jr. Aldrich? Thank you for having me, sir. Thank you for having me. Like you said, my name is Aldrich Horton Jr. I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Uh, I spent the majority of my life there. Um, I currently reside in the Central Valley um, of California, a couple hours uh, north of Los Angeles. Um, I am a social worker by trade. Like you said, fellow Trojan in the house. I, I received my MSW, uh, Master's of Social Work, for anyone who's un, unfamiliar, uh, from USC um, in 2018, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 2019, apologies. apologies. Um, prior to that, I received a, a Bachelor's in Child Development, um, and I'm currently working on a doctoral degree uh, for uh, public administration. Exciting, exciting. It's a great blend. What are you hoping to to bring together with all that education? So, you know, honestly, it, it's going to sound like a cheesy answer. And I always preface this statement with that because, you know, a lot of people hear it and kind of chuckle. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that people say, but they don't really believe. Uh, but but I say it, I say it with vigor and I say it um, with the belief that I'm going to, if not accomplish, accomplish it, I'm going to at least put the wheels in motion. Uh, you know, of course, Lord willing. And honestly, I, I want to change the world, man. Um, and I know that sounds like a grand task to say the least, but, uh, you know, I, my goal is for my son to live in a world different than you know, the world he, he currently lives in. I want the world to be different for, you know, him raising his kids. I don't want them to see any, any of the, you know, trials and tribulations I had to see, any of the, the hate, you know, just, just change the world. That, that's, the, that's the short answer. You know, of course, I could talk your ear off, but <laughs> I don't know how much time we got. Do you have a son? Yes, I do. He, he, he's actually 15. Okay. Uh, is he the he, third by chance? He, he is the third, yes, sir. I'm a third too, so represent for all the, the legacies out there. Yes, sir. I saw that. That that's actually why I wanted to get on your podcast more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> I said he ha- he has a three after his name. He, he must be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not doing no more after me though. It, it's not <laughs> so let's dive a little bit deeper. So you want to change the world. 
And how are you doing that? So I, so, okay. So, um, currently in my role, like I said, I'm a, I'm a social worker. Um, I work for, um, a school district and I feel like every day I wake up and go to work, I'm trying to change the world. Uh, you know, obviously it starts, it starts on a smaller scale. So with the kid in our district, we have, uh, just under 10 schools in the, in the district and I'm the lone social worker. Um, and I try to make a difference for, for those kids every day. Um, you know, I know we're going get to get to this a little bit later, but uh, you know, you talk about equity and for me, equity is ensuring that everyone has a fair shake. So I feel, you know, that doesn't currently exist in the world as we know it. So that that's what I do on my day-to-day, day-to-day basis. Um, you know, that's my nine to five. Um, um, aside from that, I recently uh, started a nonprofit organization um, and it's called Undivided. Um, and the goal behind that, that organization, um, or the, the main goal, the, the main focus, I want to um, make sure I put emphasis on the main because that's not the sole goal, and I, I don't want it to come off as exclusionary. But when when we created this organization, the the sole or the initial intent was to create unity amongst Black and Brown, the Black and Brown community. Um, I could go deeper into that. Um, a large part of this, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up in in Los Angeles. And, you know, that's the majority of the population. It's, uh, you know, Black and Hispanic or, you know, Latinx, Latinx uh, people. Um, And, you know, there's just a huge divide. And, you know, for the most part, no matter what what city you travel to in L.A. County, and anyone who's not familiar with L.A. County, um, so, you, you know, if you're from out of state, you hear Los Angeles, and you just think of it as, you know, this small city. The LA County is huge and it has, I, I can't even give you an exact number, but there's at least 50 cities within LA County and they all, you know, have a sizable uh, uh, population to them as well. But, you know, back to the point, you could go through any of those cities within LA County and for the most part, black and brown people are, you know, on the bottom rung, so to speak, as far as um, you know, socioeconomic status, uh, you know, how, how we're treated, um, you know, interactions with law enforcement, things of that nature. Uh, lack of equity, again, you know, you, you look at the schools that, that our kids go to, schools I went to uh, versus, you know, schools in the more well-to-do neighborhoods. And there, there's just, for the, for, the, uh, for the most part, you know, we're, we're at the bottom looking up. Uh, you know, we're, we're essentially in that barrel uh, trying to get out. And, you know, like they say about crabs in a barrel, you put them in the barrel, they're going to fight each other to get out. So, um, so for one, that, that, that was why I wanted to do that. But also, uh, like I shared with you, my son, so he's biracial, he's black and, and Mexican. Uh, so I, I would feel like I'm doing him a disservice by only, you know, trying to create unity amongst black folks you know, even though I'm black myself, you know, I'd be doing him a disservice. And, you know, that, that's, that wouldn't be true to, to 
my childhood and what, uh, you know, pushed me in this direction to want to create this unity. So I'm glad you mentioned your son and having, you know, being biracial, because when we start looking at intersectionality, we realize that the needs become more complex depending on the identity of the person. How has that shown up kind of in the work that you're doing in, in schools? Because I imagine there's biracial children in LA County that mm -hmm. have very specific needs. Well, you know, that's a, that's a loaded question in many respects. Um, so one, I mean, this, I think anyone can relate to this per portion of it. It's the who am I part of growing up, right? You know, you know when you're going through, um, you know, late childhood, early adolescence, you, you're trying to discover who you are. Um, and, you know, honestly, even before that, because, you know, as the saying goes, you know, kids can be mean and, you know, there's bullying and, you know, anything or larger society as a whole, anything that stands out, uh, you know, we kind of question and we kind of, uh, you know, at best we're curious, at worst we prejudge and kind of shun or make fun of something we don't understand. So there's that aspect of, of trying to help people uh, or help those children um, get a grasp of who they are. Um, then you have the aspect of, um, you know, I'm shunned. So I, let's say yeah, you have a black and Hispanic child and, you know, the, the black kids at school say, you know, you're not really black, you can't hang with us, uh, but he doesn't speak Spanish. So he goes to that group and they shun him as well. And it's kind of like, you know, where do I fit? You know, both sides say I'm not enough for them. I'm not enough, uh, you know, to be a part of the group. So then, you know, you, you have, you know, a kid maybe feels like he's a loner. He, he has depression as a result. Um, he might act out as a result. Uh, so it's, it's all those into one. And, uh, you know, that's just a couple of, couple of examples. But uh, like I said, that, that's a very loaded question because there, there's so many, aside just from growing up in general, you have that added um, level of, I don't know who I am. And, you know, the world, the world won't even tell me who I am, basically. Uh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, Aldrich, could you tell us how you advocate for your students and advance equity because in many cases it is an alignment of the challenge right so it's not just a matter of doing for one when you're taking into consideration so many broad factors so okay so i i'm in a challenging situation um just in general because the district that i work in um, it's, it's a high socioeconomic, uh, community. The majority of, of the, the households, two parent households, uh, you know, you got doctors, lawyers, um, you know, uh, all college ed educated, not all, but, you know, a large majority. Um, and, you know, sadly there, there, there's not much diversity. Um, and that's economical and, uh, you know, racial, uh, you know, even though race is, is a made up concept, but we won't go there. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure um, we're going to come up with that at some point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that, so, you know, I, I find myself and I try 
I don't even want to say I try. I definitely give my all for all kids, right? Um, I, I got into the profession of social work and school social work specifically to, to advocate for all kids. I mean, you see someone who looks like you and, and obviously there, there's a part of you that can relate to, to what they're feeling. So sometimes, uh, you know, not, not necessarily by choice, you find yourself, you, you find yourself, you find your heart bleeding more so to speak, right? So um, I definitely find myself trying to, trying to give those, those individuals, and it, it really is individuals, because like I said, there's not a lot of diversity at all. There's maybe, maybe 5% Black students in, in the district as a whole, and then maybe 8% Hispanic, and I, I'm being generous with the numbers. Um, so there's not a lot at all. Uh, this is actually my first full year with the district, um, so I haven't had the opportunity as of yet to create these programs, um, but I, I want to create programs that, you know, centered in, in, in not necessarily, hey, I'm the one black kid at this school, or hey, I'm the one Hispanic kid, but just those, those kind of um, programs that help kids discover who they are. So... When we spoke before, you described a goal of creating unity. And I'd love to hear your vision for that, especially as it relates to social justice and what you would like to see in the long term. Okay, so again, th this isn't to be exclusionary in any way, uh, but at the heart of the organization is creating unity amongst black and brown people. So we're, we're at the bottom rung of society. Um, you know, with the way we're treated, the way we're prejudged, the way the racism we face, uh, you know, being on the low end as far as wages. Because of my experiences in LA County and seeing that, you know, we're always at the bottom and seeing the kind of, um, the kind of friction that those two communities always had. So I, we lived all over LA County when I was a kid, right? And for the most part, every, every place we lived, um, there, there was two major gangs, a black gang and a Mexican gang, right? And they, they were always at war. They always didn't like each other. Um, you know, shootings, nightly shootings, people getting beat up, people, you know, dying. That, that was all around us, right? So I'm also a, an army veteran, right? I went to Iraq, spent 15 months there, went to what everyone would agree is a war zone, right? But I always tell people when they ask me about my experience, there's nothing that I saw in Iraq that I didn't see in my childhood. And I was never involved in, in games, but just being, just being in it, you know, you're caught up in it regardless. So. Uh, give you an example, you know, walking to and from school, uh, my friends and I, if we were walking and we were outnumbered by a group of Mexicans, and I would say probably the same for them, if they were walking there outnumbered, you found yourself having to either run or you had to fight. And, you know, most of the time you're, you're outnumbered. So, you know, the odds are against you. Uh, you know, again, going back to equity, uh, you know, everyone's fighting, but, you know, not everyone has the, the, the equal amount of tools, right? 
So it might be three of us, but there's five, five of them, or, you know, we're in fifth grade and they're high school seniors. Um, and, you know, whether you, whether you gang banged or didn't, you were involved just because of the color of your skin. So, um, you know, growing up, that used to really bother me, obviously, because it was like, I'm not even, like, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I still have to suffer um, as if I'm not, right? I, I'm still, I might as well be in the gang because I have, to do, I have to do a lot of the same things that the gang members do. So when I say create that unity, and going back to the earlier in the conversation, when I say I want my, my children and my grandchildren to see a different world, I want them to, to know that I can walk down the street and you know, I can be outnumbered and I don't have to worry about getting jumped. I don't have to worry about, you know, I just think when we should all be united just in general. Like if, if you, uh, you know, if you just go based on what we, what we say the United States represents, right? United States. So we, sh we should all be united just based on that. But especially when we come from similar backgrounds and we have similar hurdles and similar obstacles, uh, similar bar barriers to success, instead of fighting each other to, you know, again, climb out of that barrel, if it will, things will be so much easier if we work together and, you know, one by one, we pull each other out. So clearly I, I hang out with far too many evaluators or I've looked at too many logic models and you have this lofty goal. You have this goal of you want to change the world. How will you know that we've made it? How will we be able to measure our success? So I, I gave this thought, uh, I gave this question, excuse me, I gave this question a lot of thought um, in the last couple of weeks. And so, okay, let me preface it and say I'm a bit of a pessimist, <laughs> even though I'm a social worker and, you know, I, I intend to change the world. I've always been a glass, glass is half empty versus glass half full kind of person. Um, so I, I don't want to say that it can't or it won't happen. Um, but it, I will say it's definitely going to take a lot of work, obviously, right? Uh, you know, just take black people alone. You know, we've, we've been oppressed over 400 years, right? And we're still uh, screaming for a lot of the same freedoms that we've always screamed for, a lot of the same, again, equity that we've always um, kind of yearned for. And, you know, that's not, that's not um, exclusive to, to our community. That's, you know, black, black, uh, brown community, Native Americans, um, in some respect, you know, that, that's, that's across the board, um, you know, so again, I don't want to sound exclusionary. Um, but back to your question, I think it starts, or I can tell you where it starts. I think it starts by hearing each other out. Um, it starts by us being able to have conversations surrounding our individual struggles and being able to fully listen to each other and hear each other out without yeah but and when i say yeah but i'm going to i'm going to even uh put myself as as an offender so to speak um so one one of one of my good friends he he's mexican american and uh, 
he's you know very uh, social socially conscious. Uh, you know he he he's a, a, a veteran of, of the military as well. Loves his country, um, loves his people. Uh, you know loves me like a brother. You know like I said, he's Mexican American. I'm black. So, uh, but even with that said, we have conversations all the time about uh, you know things that that just things that are wrong in the world, right? And then it always goes back to race, again, a made up topic, or a made up concept. Um, and sometimes we find ourselves arguing about who has it worse, right? And at the end of it, you know, we always kind of laugh at each other, like, are we really arguing about who has it worse? And, you know, so that that's in a friendly kind of way we're arguing right because this is this is my brother and i love him i love him like a brother right and and i would say the feelings mutual but you know you could just use social media as an example like and it you know it's not across the board but it, it stands out negativity always tends to stand out more so than positivity so you know for example when you know someone like vanessa guillen uh gets murdered you know, you'll have people uh, from the Latinx community saying, well, how come no one's screaming and marching and protesting for her? And, you know, and they, they'll call out, you know, the BLM movement or, you know, other side will say, well, you know, we've been going through this struggle for this long and where you guys been at. You know what I mean? So it's, it's instead of saying, I hear you, I'm here for you, I, I stand with you, it's always, yeah, but, um, and what I just described wasn't even yeah, but it's, you know, I don't care what you're saying, you know, listen to my pain, but best case scenario typically is yeah, but like, yeah, I hear you, but look at what's going on with my people. I think beginning with hearing each other out um, and being open to what each other has to say, and then being, um, starting the work and, and, um, you know, put our feet to pavement, so to speak, and, and fighting for each other and standing with each other. And and I will say that um, I want to backtrack a little bit. I know this is this is a little bit off topic, but I'm, I'm going to try to bring it back around. So when George Floyd was murdered, I'm 39 years old. Okay, so I was born in 1981. Um, seen seen a lot of. Uh, um, uh, seen, seen a lot of negative negativity in my life um, uh, concerning my people, right? Uh, you know, I, I remember vividly the the, the uh, 92 riots in LA. Uh, I remember, you know, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade seeing the videotape of, and, you know, this isn't putting, putting the two situations on a parallel plane because obviously you know, Rodney King, he was beaten, but he, he wasn't murdered um, versus George, George Floyd was murdered. But I, I'm just using this to bring perspective. So I remember seeing them on tape, beating him with their clubs, kicking him, stomping him, and then an all-white jury saying not guilty. And then I remember the riots that resulted of it, right? And even though I was young, it affected me like, man, I guess, I don't even want to say, I guess we don't matter. Just kind of, 
it, it was kind of my first slap in the face, like, okay, this, this is the real world, right? This, this is what the world looks like for you. Um, and I totally get that. Um, I was born shortly after you in 88. And in 1992, in Michigan, in Detroit specifically, was the death of Malice Green. Now, this was a black man who was murdered by the police because he refused to hand over a, a vial of crack cocaine. And they, they hit him in the head with a flashlight seven to 14 times. And I recall very well being younger and seeing on the news how they will replay and you continue to hear about it. And so that really shaped a lot of my interactions as a young man, um, as a child, even when it came to the police, my mom would tell me that I wouldn't even talk around the police. I was terrified because I didn't know if I could actually trust them. Right. Right. So, so I say that to say, and I'm glad, thank you for sharing that. Um, but I say that to say, even with that experience, that initial experience, and then, you know, negative experiences that came after, I never felt like I hit a breaking point. I always felt like I had fight in me. I was always, um, like, I, I never felt defeated. But when the George Floyd murder took place, that was the first time where I just felt it, it was like the wind was knocked out of me. And it was just like a, it's like, you know, when, I don't know if you're a fan of boxing or, or M MMA, but you see someone get knocked out and, but you see before they go down, they're already out, but they're just still on their feet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? So yep. it, it, it kind of felt like that. It was, it kind of felt like, I, I was just going through the emotions, right? Of, of just living. It was, it was like, what am I living for? And I don't, I don't want to say, I, I don't even want to say I was suicidal. It was just kind of a, what's the point? Like what, what's the point of, of, of giving a damn if no one else gives a damn about us, right? And um, I, like I said, it, it was just a feeling of, of defeat. And um, a couple of days after, there was a, a, a peaceful protest, and something in me said, "Just go, just just go. Um, if nothing else, you'll be around like-minded people, and hopefully that'll you know that'll that'll bring you out of that that day, so to speak, right?" And I went, and it did. And the thing about it, it wasn't that it was like-minded people. Because honestly, I think if I would have went and just saw a bunch of other Black faces, it might have felt good. Um, or I think it probably just would have fueled that anger and fueled that hurt. Because, you know, I expect to see us up in arms for this. But when I went out there, I saw people that didn't look anything like me. Um, I, you know, I saw white people. I saw Mexican people. I saw... Asia, just, just, it, it looked like, uh, and, you know, hopefully this doesn't sound garish, but it, it looked like the rainbow, right? Just, mm -hmm. just every, every, every um, ethnicity, every, every culture was represented and they were there in solidarity and you, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like anyone there was for a photo op. It didn't feel like, 
let's go because we're gonna post to the grant. Like none of that. You could you could feel it. Um, and that kind of like it was like, okay, like people care. And people that don't look like me care. And it's one thing to, you know, go on social media and see people that don't look like you, you know, um kind of kind of fighting for for the cause and you know champion championing um you know freedom fighters for for lack of a better phraseology like but to see it in person and actually feel the 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 spirit and feel the energy that they're giving off it it was like it was it was uh rejuvenating right and that's when i said okay i got to do something i got to do something other than just being mad and you know i i honestly prior to that i felt like what i did in my nine to five was enough uh, or not i don't want to say enough i just thought like i was serving my purpose in that but i was like no i, I that's that was the wake-up call that said i gotta do something else because there's people out there that don't look like me that care about my people and I have to do, I have to reciprocate that one. And two, I need to rally, rally the troops, so to speak. And, you know, let's, let's make this change happen. You know, I, I can't sit on the sidelines and, and root for people trying to make the change. I got to try to make that change along with them. And so I, I must ask, how are you managing the obstacles? Because you can turn on the TV any given day and there's a black or brown face that's been violently murdered in the streets. And so I have to wonder, is it tied back to your vision? You know, the way that you, you manage the, the onslaught of information and challenges that come your way. And also I'm just curious about like self-care because that's something that I've observed over the last few years or so. People who are working in the movement, they're dying younger. And I know that's got to be part of the stress, but how do you manage that? I'm glad you said, does it tie back to, to your vision? Yes, it, it definitely ties back to my vision. Excuse me, it's that, that rejuvenated feeling that I was just discussing, um, you know, when I, when I saw those other people out there that didn't look like me fighting in unison, um, I, use, I use the thought of that to fuel me, right? So even though there's hatred um, being broadcast on, on the screen or, you know, even worse, the people that we never hear about. And, you know, for, for most of the, the informed folks across the world, I'm sure that they're aware that, you know, this didn't start happening when, when uh, you know, the phone cameras came up. This didn't start happening with social media and everything that is captured on social media and, and on the cell phones, that that's not the, the gist of everything that's going on. But because of that, that that's what drives me. That that's what that's what makes me go harder. It's like, okay, they covered these these last 10 horrific events, but what about the 20 others that they didn't cover last week? So I want to fight so none of those, none of those exist, right? I want to fight so nothing's being covered because nothing's happening versus you know stuff just being um, swept under the rug under the rug or you know for for whatever the reason because no one was there with the with the camera phone um so that pushes me um 
but also it, it's I'm glad you said self-care. That's a social worker in you coming out. <laughs> That's funny. I, I often claim to be the most anti-social social worker that you will come across because I am so macro. It's it's unfortunate. I can't I can't even think in a micro space from time to time. Really? OK. Yeah. I see. I like to think of myself as macro too, but but maybe we'll say that for part two. Uh, it's self care. So I I call myself. I don't even call myself a writer, but I like to write to kind of just um, let let go of my emotions, let go of whatever rage, whatever hurt, whatever angst, whatever I'm feeling. I I have the exercise of of writing it down in. I tell myself, once I write it down, I'm letting it go into the universe, right? Um, so I have this one this one thing I wrote, and uh, I don't remember word for word, but the gist of it is basically allow your tears to fuel whatever work you're doing, right? So I let that pain fuel me. I let that emotion, that anger, that hurt, I let that push me to make sure no one else has to feel that hurt. So I'll bear the brunt of it and I'll, because I can deal with it with my self-care techniques. And then I'm gonna use that to fuel me so no one else has to feel it. And I think that's one of the points I really wanna drive home for our listeners. And I'm talking to myself as I'm talking to everyone else is that self-care especially when you're working in an equity or a diversity, equity, and inclusion type of role, or you're constantly applying that lens, self-care is something that we have to talk about more frequently. You have to actually integrate it. It can't just be something that we say, oh, you know, I, I step away from the computer from time to time. No, we actually have to be mindful of how our bodies are responding to the challenges that we're facing. I mean, there's constant obstacles and barriers that are presented before us but we also have to be mindful of where we are in that space. I'm slowly starting to trust myself again when it comes to writing in many regards. I, I wrote a lot in elementary, middle school, et cetera. And now it's really this form of concentrated writing. So I challenge myself every once in a while to just write a haiku just because of the rules that are attached to, to how you write it, how it's formulated. And I find relief in that. And so I'm glad to hear that you're using your platform in a way that is also a relief to you. I agree. That was, that was beautifully stated. Um, I, I think the focus that, that you put into your writing, or at least, you know, for me, the, the focus that I put into my writing is, is even though I'm, I'm channeling, you know, whatever emotion I'm feeling, you know, be it negative or positive, that concentration is, is my escape. Because, you know, that, that focus is in to, you know, I, I try to make it as, you know, while it, even though it's, it's my emotion, you know, I, I would like for someone to read it and say, hey, that was inspiring or hey, that helped me or hey, that was even, that was well written. So, you know, that the concentration that goes into that, um, like you said, it serves as a, as a distraction. And again, that self-care and just kind of uh, mentally checking out uh, you know, in the moment, even if you're not, you know, a hundred percent checked out, you're still checking out. Aldrick, I know we've covered a lot in our time today, but I'm just curious about what's next for you. You know, describe maybe some of your, your short-term goals. 
I'm going to finish this, this doctorate. Um, I have about a year and a half in the program left, Lord willing. Um, and I'm hoping that degree opens up doors um, that allows me to affect change on a grand scale. Um, as far as um, shorter term than that, just want to keep going, going to work and try to create a sense of normalcy for, for our kids. Um, you know, the kids aren't physically back in school here, um, but I want to just try to create that normalcy um, and through that normalcy, you know, again, try to create equity uh, through my work on a daily basis. That, that's, that's the goal. I love it. I love it. So, Aldrich, what's the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing? I mean, you got your hands in a lot of different pots. You're in school. You've got a nonprofit. You're a writer. Let the listeners know the best way to follow you. Okay, so um, I am on Instagram. Uh, first and foremost, the, the most important thing um, is the nonprofit organization. It's a cause I truly believe in. It's a cause, um, you know, true to my heart, um, bringing about unity. Um, and through that unity, bringing about change on a grand scale. Um, so again, that's at undivided, at underscore, U-N underscore D-I-V-I-D-E-D underscore. Three underscores in there. Um, and then as far as my writing, um, I have a, a poetry page. It's called at Debonair Dilettante. D-E-B-O-N-A-I-R underscore D-I-L-E T-T-A-N-T-E. So, you know, please check out both if, if you have a chance, but if you have to choose one, I prefer you to check out at Undivided. Um, and I appreciate the love. Thank you. Thank you very much. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Please keep up with us on Instagram. That is at Equity Matters Podcast. You can also listen if you're not um, in a few different platforms. We are available on Apple Music, Spotify, and Podbean. Thank you so much. And as always, equity matters. <laughs>